The suspect in the Esther uh, Salas case doesn't kill himself. We'll talk a bit about what's going on over there. Anti-Trumpers do anti-Trump things. Kanye goes off the deep end once again, and we will read Twitter trending. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning and welcome to Contemporary. I'm your host, Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today. We had a great show last night over on the Red Net Show, so thanks everybody who came by and hung out with us and kept us honest while we were going on in the news, so I always appreciate that. If you like what you saw there or like anything else or would like to even see some other kinds of shows coming up out of us, go ahead and check us out over on the Freedom Scoop Media Group. Freedom Scoop is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. You've got my shows, both of which show up at the top right now. You've also got Stephen Ignoramus, The Generational Gap. You have got uh, Wyatt Birkenhoff and The Breakdown with Birkenhoff. You've got The R-Rated Conservative and The Freckles and Brit Show. So head on over there and check us all out over there. Help support some great creators. Get some swag and help us to monetarily support some great creators. And let me turn my alarm clock off, which that's going to happen in 10 minutes again anyway, so we'll figure that out as we go, and come and help us out. So, we start out looking at the stocks for the day. First off, get this set back to where it's supposed to be, and we look at what the Dow did yesterday, and it wound up breaking even, just barely. After a nice little upswing at the end of the day, it fell back down to be just about to its even point. 8.92 points, or 0.033% up, but hey, a win is a win. So, you gotta look at it somewhat that way and see what we're gonna see out of there. Let's see what the newscasters on the stocks have to say. <clears throat> Come on. Apparently we're not gonna read from IBD anymore. I thought I had that fixed as of yesterday. Hmm, a little bit of on-air production for you guys. Alright, screw it. We'll go on to Market Watch, and then we will find another source to read from in the morning. Alright, all 30 Dow stocks gained pre-market as IBM and Coke add a total of 48 points to the Dow's price from Tommy Kilgore. All 30 components of the Dow Jones Industrial average were trading higher in pre-market trading Tuesday, led by the shares of earnings reporters from International Business Machines Corp. and Coca-Cola. IBM stock jumped 4.9% after the technology giant reported late Monday second quarter earnings that beat expectations. Does anybody use an IBM anymore? I'm a little surprised to see that up there. I didn't even know they were still around. I thought that they were done for. Because you never hear about them anymore. It's just, oh... Well, now you've got AMD and Intel and Microsoft and everybody else around. I didn't, Hewlett Packard maybe, because that's what we're running the show on, but I didn't realize that uh, IBM was still a thing, or still around. That's kind of interesting. <clears throat> and Coca-Cola shares advanced 2.1% after the beverage and snack giant reported earlier a profit that topped forecasts. The implied price gains of the stock would add a combined 48 points to the Dow's price as Dow futures rallied 164 points, or 0.6%. Oh, that's all we have. Thank you, Market Watch. All right, let's keep going down the list then. From CNN, attorney who was found dead named as primary suspect in fatal shooting at federal judge's home. 
from Evan Perez, Bryn uh, Gingras, Amir Rivera, and Eric Levinson. An attorney who was found dead Monday is the suspect in a shooting at the U.S. Judge Esther Salas' home, the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey said Monday afternoon. Salas' son was killed and her husband injured in the Sunday attack at the family's home in New, uh, North Brunswick, New Jersey. The FBI identified Roy Dan Hollander as the primary subject and said that he is dead. The U.S. Attorney's Office said in a statement, Dan Hollander was a lawyer who once urged or argued rather a case before Salas, according to court records. Earlier, the two law enforcement sources told CNN the suspect died of what is believed to be self-inflicted gunshot wound. The judge's son, Daniel Anderl, a 20-year-old student at Catholic University, was killed in the shooting and Mark Anderl, the judge's husband, and a defense attorney was injured, according to Freda Wolfson, U.S. District Chief Judge in New Jersey. Salas was unharmed, Wolfson said. In a lawsuit, Dan Hollander represented a woman and her daughter who sought to register for the military selective service. According to the federal court records, Dan Hollander's client claimed the draft was unconstitutional because it barred women from registering. <clears throat> Salas cited against a part of Dan Hollander's arguments last spring, but also agreed with some of his claims and allowed the lawsuit to continue. Hollander exited the case June 2019, handing it over to a team of lawyers at the large New York-based law firm, Boys Schiller Flexner. Hollander said he would not be able to see the case through because he was terminally ill. Nick Gravante, a managing partner at the firm, told CNN. On his website, Dan Hollander describes himself as an anti-feminist lawyer who defends men's rights. So, a couple things going on here. I think I just read my next article. No, there's another one up here, so we'll talk a little bit more, but that is a part of what's in the headline off of this here, so... And yet, the CNN article still doesn't come by and let us know the fact that... And your regular CNN reader wouldn't realize the fact that this woman had just been handed the case to hear uh, facts in the Gislaine Maxwell case. She'd just been handed uh, notes for, I believe it's actually a civil suit involving Gislaine Maxwell. So there is something fucky going on here. Uh, according to other reports, he was found dead by apparent suicide in his car not too far away from here, which is also not in this article here. So, yeah, this has been an interesting... This broke after I uh, got off the camera yesterday, so I didn't know that he had gone off and uh, offed himself after this. Offed himself. I know we will be talking an extensive amount of this next week because I know uh, Elaine is quite interested in the story, so... There will be a lot that we'll have to talk about with this. Let's see the other article I pulled up here from CNN. Suspect in fatal shooting at home of Judge Esther Solis described himself as an anti-feminist lawyer once argued a case before the judge. From Eric Levinson, Paul P. Murphy, and Caitlin Polance over at CNN. On his website, Roy Den Hollander described himself as an anti-feminist lawyer who defended men's rights. His personal writings and life's work reveal a toxic stew of sexist, racist bigotry. He had unsuccessfully filed lawsuits against bars and nightclubs offering ladies' nights, claiming they violate the 14th Amendment. And he filed suits against the federal government, challenging the constitutionality of its Violence Against Women Act, the Female Fraud Act, as he referred to it, and against Columbia University for its women's studies programs. Federal authorities on Monday said Dan Hollander is suspected of shooting the husband and son of U.S. Ju District Judge Esther Salas at her New Brunswick, New Jersey home. At her 
North Brunswick, New Jersey. You see there's a word missing right there. The FBI called Dan Hollander the primary subject and said he is dead. Two law enforcement sources told CNN the suspect died of what is believed to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The attorney penned lengthy documents filled with bigoted and sexist content on his website. One document, which he called Cyclopedia, is 152 pages of anti-feminist musings. In the so-called Evolutionary Correct Cyclopedia, Dan Hollander made the chilling remarks about solutions to what he called political commies and feminists. Things began to change when individual men start taking these specific, uh, or taking out those specific persons responsible for destroying their lives before committing suicide, he wrote. Yeah, there is something else going on with this. Because it really seems like it's time to go paint this guy as some sort of right-wing extremist and MGTOW kind of guy right before an election and right before this case goes before Ghislaine Maxwell. I... The tinfoil detector is going off like crazy on this one right here. We're going to save this. And we're going to go talk about... Uh, we'll talk about this again next uh, Monday. Definitely. <clears throat> but yeah, this just does not pass the tinfoil test. Something else is going on here. This is just way too convenient for anything to come out here. Alright, let's keep going here though. From the Washington Post, archived through archive.today. Trump threatens to deploy federal agents to Chicago and other U.S. cities led by Democrats. Homeland Security officials said Monday they are making preparations to deploy federal agents to Chicago. While President Trump threatened to send U.S. law enforcement personnel to other Democratic-led cities experiencing spates of crime. They're not even trying to hide the fact that it's Democratic-led cities. As if they don't care. I don't know. Trump made the pronouncement as he defended his administration's use of force in Portland, Oregon, where agents have clashed nightly with protesters and made arrests from unmarked cars. Calling the unrest there worse than Afghanistan, Trump's rhetoric uh, escalated tensions with Democratic mayors and governors who have criticized the presence of federal agents on U.S. streets. Telling reporters at the White House that he would send forces into jurisdictions with or without the cooperation of their elected leaders. We're looking at Chicago, too. We're looking at New York, he said. All run by very liberal Democrats. All run, really, by the radical left. This is worse than anyone's ever seen, Trump continued. And you know what? If Biden got in, that wouldn't be true for the country. The whole country would go to hell. With his poll number sinking amid widespread frustration at his response to the coronavirus pandemic, Trump has cast himself as a law and order strongman who will pacify U.S. communities roiled in recent months by spreading disease. The economic crisis and large street protests for racial justice, Trump has wielded images of violent demonstrators. All right, let's actually turn this off this time, not just hit snooze. Through the vast majority of racial justice protests have been peaceful. Okay. Peaceful is what you're going to call them. That's what you're going to go with. Good job with that. Three Department of Homeland Security officials said Monday that the agency had been making preparations to deploy agents from U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement to Chicago. But the officials said operations details are not yet finalized. Don't we have a National Guard for this? 
If he's really going to be the law and order thing, which I'm pretty sure at this point is just bad advisors feeding him bad information coming up into an election, because I wouldn't do this, especially given the fact that we know that the radical left wants to paint him as that authoritarian tyrant that they all said he was going to be from the beginning. I wouldn't be doing this. I would just let these places fucking burn. If the mayors and the uh, state governors don't want to do anything, or the county officials even, for that matter, don't want to do anything, that's on them. Unless it's a federal building, of course, which, at that point, yes, go ahead and defend, but, yeah, no, I would not be doing anything like this. Trump has, or I'm sorry, the officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe the plan said the agents who are part of ICE's Homeland Security Investigations Division would not engage in immigration enforcement op uh, operations and would likely assist with intelligence gathering and targeting of the drug trafficking groups and gangs driving the violence. Trump has mentioned New York and Philadelphia as two other cities where his administration is looking to send federal agents. But two DHS officials said Chicago is the only city where their preparations have advanced. The Chicago Tribune first reported on the plans on Monday, saying up to 150 agents would be involved, but the DHS officials said the size of the HSI contingent remains in flux. DHS officials involved in the preparation also said the federal agents would be directed by the Department of Justice, and their assignment in Chicago would be very different from the standoff between federal forces and protesters in Portland, despite the president's attempts to link the two. On Sunday, Trump lashed out at the Democratic officials in Oregon, who have asked his administration to withdraw from Portland, saying the heavy-handed tactics of DHS agents was exacerbating the uh, confrontation outside the federal courthouse, where violent clashes have played out over the past several weeks. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. No, I would definitely not be doing this at this point. For regular street violence, of course, once again, if it happens on federal property, which all of these cities do have federal buildings on them, that'd be a different story. But absolutely not. I would definitely 100% not be sending them out to be just a regular police force. These governors and mayors made their beds, let them lay in it. Let them try and replace, because you know what's going to happen, because it happened in Minneapolis. They are going to stand them down, and then they're going to come back to the federal government and say, please, please, Mr. Federal Government, just gives us money. Gibbs, 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 gives us money. We need to rebuild our city, gives us money. So, yeah, a lot of stuff going on with this. We've actually got one here from my local Fox affiliate. Uh, social justice groups call for police reform to be included in Democratic platform in November from Bill Miston. In light of the unrest following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the coalition to march on the DNC, along with several other jo uh, social justice groups, are unifying behind a plank of policing reform and that it must be included in the party's platform for the November election. So they didn't get the chance to burn down Milwaukee, and now they're going to come out and march on something where nobody's going to be. Figure all of this out. Red Arrow Park was chosen by organizers as it was the site of the 2014 shooting death of Dontre Hamilton by a Milwaukee police officer. In light of the surge of protests that have swept across the country following the murder of George Floyd, we found it imperative to amplify our demand of community control of the police and, to end to, uh, and an end to police terror, said Omar Flores of the Coalition to March on, D the, on the DNC. 
While the group supported the Democratic Party in defeating President Trump, it has called on the Democratic Party to take action to make meaningful po uh, policing reforms and intends to march on the DNC at the Wisconsin Center come August. Okay, I gotta ask you this. Not you guys, because I don't think you guys are going to have the answer, because I don't think anybody that's in my audience right now is some sort of extremist radical. We have a few of them in here and there, and you guys come in and very handily take care of most of them as we go along. But i got to ask these guys here, and they'll never see it, but i still got to ask the question. What exactly do you plan to do if the DNC doesn't cow to your demands, if they don't just bend over for you? It's not like you're not going to vote for them. It's not like you're going to go across the aisle and vote for Trump. So what exactly is the stick in this situation? I know what the carrot is. The carrot is going to be, oh, well, if you do this, we'll vote for you. But what exactly is the stick going to be in something like this? Let's read on. This isn't a partisan issue, said Lauren Cross of the Milwaukee Alliance Against Racist and Political Oppression. This is about getting justice for people affected by police crimes, no matter the condition, no matter the political affiliation of the city or the town that they reside in. This is about families. Earlier this month, a task force put together by the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and former candidate Senator Bernie Sanders released a list of recommendations as part of a unity platform calling for the banning of chokeholds, investing in community policing investigation, or investigating rather police misconduct patterns as well as creating unarmed first responders, like social workers and mental health experts, to tackle low-level conflicts, allowing police officers to handle some serious crimes. So, yeah, they're going to keep going down this thing until a bunch of social workers get shot, and then it's going to come out and be, oh, well, we need policing in this area. And, of course, we have more extremes, like over in New York, where it is just abolish the police entirely, Defund them, because that's what they say about Planned Parenthood, but we're going to abolish them and get rid of them entirely. And then we're going to go down the road and complain about the fact that only the rich and the famous and the powerful get security. So we're going to create a security force for everybody. Congratulations, you just invented the police. So that's what's happening over here in my neck of the woods, especially given the fact that they did not have the chance to go and march on the DNC. Let's see what's happening elsewhere in the country. From Fox News, Mark McCloskey, St. Louis man charged after pointing gun at crowd outside the home, slams prosecutor from Charles Kreitz. Mark McCloskey, the St. Louis man who has been charged with a felony after he and his wife pointed guns at a crowd who had converged on his neighborhood, said it's clear that the circuit attorney is trying to keep criminals safe rather than those following the law. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, the city's top prosecutor, said Mark and Patricia McCloskey, both personal injury attorneys in their 60s, will be charged with felony unlawful use of a weapon following the June 28th incident. The McCloskey said hundreds of people marching to the mayor's home had broken a gate to enter the private street. Mark McCloskey told uh, Tucker Carlson tonight that when it came to public officials, Gardner was a key but lone advocate for their potential punishment. He told host Tucker Carlson that Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, the state's top prosecutor along with President Trump and Republican Governor Mike Parson, have been on his side. He added that Gardner, however, reportedly released dozens of protesters and alleged rioters that had been previously arrested without charging them, which was reported in a tweet written by Schmidt. It seems like the only person in the United States that thinks we did something wrong is our city circuit attorney. 
she's the same person that let out of jail everybody that was responsible for the looting and the fires and the destruction. Following the George Floyd death in the city of St. Louis, McCloskey told Carlson, It's a totally upside-down world, he continued. The people who broke into my neighborhood were all trespassing. The guy that recruited them that planned this event said the next day that he intended to break the law, that he needed to break laws in order to send his message. None of those people are arrested. None of those people are charged. The circuit attorney has apparently decided that her job as prosecutor isn't to keep us safe from criminals, but to keep the criminals safe from us. It's a bizarro, upside-down world. I've been a little irritated by this process until today, and now I'm just flat-out pissed off. This has got or this has gotten to be outrageous, and yes, it absolutely is. Now, from my understanding, the governor of Missouri has already announced that he intends to pardon these two if they do get charged with something. And once again, we looked at some of the pictures out of this. I got some pictures out here that were brought to my attention that showed that outside of the pan of everything else, you could see the muzzle of a rifle pointed at the McCloskeys when the woman was pointing her gun back at them. But this was absolutely trespass, no matter. I mean, the Google cars can't even get into this neighborhood. So if you go onto Google Earth, you just see a black spot where this neighborhood is because the Google cars can't even get there to map it. You can't get directions there. You have to be invited. This, this was trespass, and they were defending it. These people were announcing that they were going to kill the McCloskeys or invade and destroy their home, and they defended themselves, and now they're getting charged for this. And if we do see Biden come in and his advisors run the country for four years, Expect more of this, because you're going to see a fuckload more of it. Alright, let's keep going here. From the Hill, Democrats, progressive groups raise more than $700 million in three months through Act Blue. Which means, Democrats, progressive groups, siphoned $700 million away from the Black Lives Matter donations and donated it, uh, donated it to Democrats. Hands washed. Hands clean. Nobody has to see how the money got laundered. From John Bowden. Democratic donors contributed more than $700 million to candidates and progressive groups on the left-leaning ActBlue platform in 2020 second quarter, the company said on Monday. In a blog post, ActBlue pointed to the $710 million figure raised in the second quarter of 2020 as the highest single quarter total in terms of fundraising in the platform's history. The company also registered its highest number of first-time donors and unique donors this quarter. Just over 5.7 million contributions were made on the platform in the second quarter of 2020, a sharp increase from the 1.4 million recorded on the previous quarter. In a statement, ActBlue point, uh, pointed to bail funds and other fundraisers on the ActBlue platform begun in response to the nationwide protests over the death of black Americans in police custody, including George Floyd, as a reason for the spike. Yeah, there is a correlation there, and a causation. It's just not going in the direction that the Hill is telling us. Black activists and black-led organizations made history in quarter two 2020, leading the way as people around the world organized in protests against police violence and anti-black racism, ActBlue wrote in the blog post. Digital fundraising was one part of that organization. Hundreds of thousands of people donated to nonprofits raising funds to help protesters with bail, legal services, and support, as well as black-led groups that are organizing for voting rights, the protection of black trans people, and black political power, it continued. 
AgBlue's executive director, Aaron Hill, told CNN in a statement that the small-dollar donors were more engaged with the political process than ever before. Small-dollar donors are driving change, said the Hill. They are engaged in historic levels and pushing for the values they care about in their communities and at all levels of government. Yes, Black Lives Matter laundered a bunch of money and gave it to AgBlue. Problem solved. And yes, this is how Biden is suddenly outraising Trump at this point. Because he was lagging behind in a very, very big fashion up until George Floyd died. And you keep trying to tell me that this isn't a conspiracy. If it isn't a conspiracy, there are a lot of convenient things going on here. Let's keep going. Come on. Don't do this. Technical issues. Turn off your ad blocker. Fuck you. Portland community leaders plead for moratorium on street violence as police targeted. Rioters sparked a fire inside the Portland Police Association building over the weekend. From Drew Marine over at uh, KPTV Fox 12. Protesters have drawn national attention after setting a fire inside the Portland Police Association building Saturday night. Portland police said around 1045, protesters broke into PPA's building and almost immediately started a fire. The building on North Lombard Street is still covered with graffiti and remnants from the fire set Saturday night are still scattered inside. Ash Leavenworth lives a few houses down from the PPA and said while it's scary to see this happening on the street, he says dramatic action needs to be taken in order for change to happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's some of what it looks like in there. It looks like we've got a little bit of damage, bullet holes and everything out there, and some of the graffiti sitting outside while somebody's making a press conference. We heard shouting, and then a little while after, we heard a pretty big bang, which we came to realize was the dumpster being lit on fire in the middle of Lombard, Leavenworth said. He said he's lived in uh, or on North Campbell Street for eight years, and up until a few weeks ago, it was a quiet area especially last night when the union was caught on fire, so we felt pretty scared for our neighbors then. As much as we do support the protests, it's been a trip having cops over or here with our LRAD system and blowing up the acoustics of the neighborhood, Leavenworth said. Well, yeah, of course it's going to be a pretty quiet neighborhood because you really don't want to go out and commit a bunch of crime where the police come and hang out. That seems pretty obvious to me. So, yeah, I... After seeing what's happening in Portland, Leavenworth says he understands why the protesters are angry. People are seemingly getting snatched off the street by federal units that have been sent to Portland, and people are understandably upset, he said. I think that, honestly, the only thing that brings about change is showing up and doing something dramatic. The PPA held a press conference Sunday afternoon to address what happened. President Daryl Turner said the violence needs to end. This is no longer about George Floyd. This is no longer about racial equity or social justice. This isn't about reform or the evolution of policing. It's about violence, rioting, and destruction, Turner said. And yet you will be carried out and lynched if you actually try to make good on that. I am sorry. 
Mr. Police Chief, but that's what's going to happen. So that's what's happening up in Portland, and the, the locals are getting on these people's side. They're, they're getting their property destroyed, and they're on the side of the protesters. This is clown world, people. This is exactly what this is. It's 100% clown world. And I can't believe I lived long enough to see it. All right, let's keep going here. From ABC News, as mandates grow, Trump tweets photo of himself in a mask, now calling it patriotic. From Libby Cathy, President Trump said on or President Trump rather on Monday retweeted a photo of himself wearing a mask, saying, "Many people say it's patriotic to wear a face mask when you can't socially distance, and there's nobody more patriotic than me, your favorite president." It wasn't clear what message, if any, he might be sending to his nearly 84 million Twitter followers and supporters, but it came just hours after he said he'd resume coronavirus task force briefings at the White House amid more uh, bad poll numbers for his handling of the coronavirus crisis. It also came after an interview in which he was in open conflict with his own health experts on the effectiveness of masks in controlling the outbreak of cases surging across the American South and West, and as several states and retailers work with stores nationwide implemented new mask mandates. No, I want people to have a certain freedom, and I don't believe in that. No, Trump told Fox News' Chris Wallace when asked if he would consider a national mask mandate. I don't agree with the statement that if everybody wear a mask, everything disappears, Trump said in an interview that aired Sunday contradicting Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC, and or who said multiple times last week that if everyone wore a mask, the epidemic would be driven to the ground in a matter of weeks. <clears throat> Dr. Fauci said don't wear a mask. Our Surgeon General, terrific guy, the best guy, said don't wear a mask. Everyone was saying don't wear a mask, Trump continued misleadingly. All of a sudden, everyone... Really? You're reporting on the facts and you had to put your own editorial in there. This is ABC News, folks. All of a sudden, everyone's got to wear a mask. And as you know, masks cause problems too. So, Seawall and Darth Spartacus and I were having a discussion about this last... No, it wasn't Seawall. Who the fuck? It was John, rather. Not Seawall. John and Darth Spartacus and I were having a discussion about this in the Generational Gap Discord last night. And what this actually entailed, what was going on with this, and everything else that went around it. And Spartacus had a kind of spicy take, and he brought up the fact that what if this was Trump just trying to see how much of the opposite the mainstream media will do, and how much they'll try to demonize everything that he says? What if this is a way to try and eliminate the mask mandates? Because, you know, if he comes out and says, oh, the masks are the greatest thing in the world, the best mask, I have the best mask, and you can have the best mask too. If he does that, then the mainstream media is going to be tripping over themselves to come out and say, well, masks are actually bad. Masks are evil. Masks can make you sicker. Because President Trump said it, that means it's bad. So, that's actually Possibly a pretty genius way to do this, and we actually might see this come down as we go along. So pay attention to that as we go along, because that would be very, very interesting to see. All right, let's keep going here. I just wanted to have that article in there so we could talk a bit about that. Another one from The Hill, which is playing a video on me. No, go away, video. White House, Senate GOP, clash over testing funds. 
from Alexander Bolton. Senate Republicans are clashing with the White House over whether to include new money for coronavirus testing in the next relief package, which lawmakers estimate could swell to two million or two trillion dollars rather once Democratic demands are included. The intra-party tension in the GOP could give Democrats leverage as congressional discussions intensify over the next couple weeks. White House negotiators, led by Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and White House Chief of Staff uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, want to keep the size of the initial Republican offer to around a trillion dollars. They're bulking at including another $25 billion for COVID-19 testing because states still haven't spent much of the money Congress has already appropriated for testing. Congress appropriated $25 billion for testing in the $484 billion interim relief package Congress passed in April. Senator Roy Blunt, one of the Republican senators negotiating with the administration, said not providing more money for testing in the next relief package doesn't make sense. I just think that's wrong, he said when asked Monday about the administration's opposition to billions of dollars in additional money for testing. We're in the process of developing tests that would be easier to take and quicker responded to. If you're going to get back or if you're going to get people back to school and back to work, having those kinds of tests is really important. Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee Chairman Lamar Alexander, who was negotiating with the White House, said, My view is we should do whatever we need to to make sure we have adequate tests. 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 Senate Republicans fear losing control of their majority in the November elections and see testing as a major political and policy issue. They want to be able to provide enough money to boost testing through the end of the year. Spend, 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 spend. And once again, I have to come back and ask the same question I ask every time we look at something like this. That is $25 billion. They want to go out and spend $2 trillion more. Where the hell are you going to get this money from? Where do you plan to come up with $2 trillion? Because the government doesn't produce anything. This isn't a communist country which means the government doesn't own the means of production, the government doesn't produce anything, where are you getting $2 trillion? You guys know where. You guys definitely know where they're getting $2 trillion from. But they won't tell you the quiet part out loud. You're just going to look back and see that your taxes have increased significantly next year because they just keep spending and spending and spending and spending. Yeah, right here. Speaker Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer support a $3 trillion relief package passed by the House in May. Yeah. Spend and spend and spend some more. My name is the U.S. government. And in all honesty, let the states figure this out and handle it. They're a lot closer to it than you are. And states like South Dakota don't need to be spending this kind of money. Hell, Wisconsin doesn't need to be spending this kind of money on trying to prop up Arizona and California and Florida, even though I think a lot of that is a hoax out there. So, no. Quit spending money and figure out how to get this all behind us. All right, let's keep going here from ABC News. Coronavirus updates, Newsom presses Californians to fight the spread as ICU beds run low from John Hay uh, Hayworth, even Pereira, and Meredith Deliso. 
the novel coronavirus pandemic that has now killed more than 600 people worldwide. Over 14.5 million people across the globe have been diagnosed with COVID-19, the disease caused by the new respiratory virus, according to data compiled by the CD, uh, Centers for uh, System Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. The actual numbers are believed to be much higher due to testing shortages, many unreported cases, and suspicions that some governments are hiding or downplaying the scope of their nation's outbreaks. Did you just see a mainline leftist organization say that China wasn't testing anymore? Wow. The U.S. has become the worst affected country in with more than 3.8 million diagnosed cases and at least 140,957 deaths. Citation needed, please. And then we have a series of updates. Uh, NIH say up to three vaccines could be ready for the year's end. Uh, I wonder which one is going to have the most effective radio transmitter. Uh, 8.21 p.m., L.A. County offering $20 gift cards to incentivize contact tracing. Where the fuck do you get that money, L.A. County? You're broke. 4.08 p.m., California ICU space running low as cases rises. Or as cases rise. This is the one I wanted to read for you guys. California Governor Gavin Newsom is continuing to urge residents to social distance and wear face coverings as the number of cases in the state continue to climb and tax hospitals. The state recorded 6,846 new positive cases in the last 24 hours, bringing the total to 391,358, according to the governor. The state's 14-day average has grown from 7,800 new daily cases on July 12 to 8,370 8, daily cases on July 19th, according to the state's health department. There were nine new deaths recorded in the last 24 hours, bringing the statewide total to 7,694. Newsom warned that while the number of new fatalities may be low, seven-day average of new deaths was 91 on July 19th compared to 77 weeks ago. We've seen the numbers. They go down. The best way is to watch the numbers over a seven-day period, he said. Newsom also warned that hospitals across the state are seeing a 16% jump over the last two weeks in COVID-19 cases. Hospital ICU bed admissions were up 12% statewide during that same period, and for some facilities, it's worse, according to the governor. San Benito hospitals, he noted, have no ICU beds left. Well, we have them all across the rest of the country, and yeah, this is the first time we're seeing ICUs filled, if that's true. And once again, I don't necessarily buy it because... They said that the ICU beds were going to be filled in New York City, which is why they built a makeshift hospital to take care of everybody else in Central Park and docked that nice fancy ship in the Port of New York. And both of them went completely unused. So I'm going to need a citation needed on the beds being full as well in California. But that's what I had to say on that. Uh, now we've got one here that came from the Chill Anarchist over in the Discord server. Remember you guys, the Discord server is linked in the description below the YouTube channel. It's not in the DLive channel, and I need to figure out how to fix that. So we'll go, I'm going to get some tiles up in the DLive and the Twitch as soon as I figure out how to do that. But go ahead and get on over into the Discord, and maybe one of my great moderators can put the Discord link in for you guys if you, uh, if you wanted to do that. Head on over into the Discord and hang out with us, and you can offer articles up like this one from the Chill Anarchist. Red Ford Movement, or Red for Ed Movement, rather, Teachers Union pushed to delay Arizona school openings. Leaders of the Red for Ed movement and Arizona's Teachers Union are pushing for the state's K-12 public schools to remain closed for in-person instruction until October at the earliest.
Reuters reported on Saturday that teachers in Arizona are returning to the Red for Ed activism launched in March of 2018 to lobby against school reopenings in August. The Hill reported that Arizona Education Association is escalating the political battle surrounding the reopening of schools in the state. AEA President Joe Thomas is or was a well-known supporter of the origins of the Red for Ed movement in Arizona, as Breitbart News reported. Last week, the AEA released a video that included a call to action to flood Governor Ducey's office with a petition that lists seven demands that he must meet before the union would agree to return to in-person primary and secondary school students, or student instruction, rather, in K-12 uh, public schools. So it looks like, and this is just a lot of quote, uh, quote reporting up off of this, but yes, the Arizona uh, Teachers Union says, well, we're not going to go back to school unless we get to something uh, specific up off of this. Please don't make me risk getting COVID-19 to teach your, uh, teach your child. That was an opinion piece from uh, Knucklehead Row over at the New York Times, a former newspaper. Yeah. You assess certain risks every time you leave your house. And one of the things that I pointed out a few times is that I'm afraid of getting hit by a Buick. But that does not mean that I get to limit your access to buy a car. People that are afraid of a little virus can stay home if they're afraid of a little virus. They don't have to impose their fear on me. But thanks to Joe for coming out and uh, putting this out for us for us to read. So there wasn't a lot of main text in this, just a lot of quote stuff, but... Still, it's an interesting idea, the fact that these teachers' unions are going to try and shape the way that we do our reopening, and teachers' unions are reliably very, very, very left. Like, 17 Vs very left. Let's keep going. Dr. Fauci to throw ceremonial first pitch at Washington Nationals' opening game from Paul Bois. After his InStyle magazine spread, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, will be throwing the first pitch at the Washington Nationals opening game of the season coming Thursday. In an official statement, the defending World Series championship team said that they would probably be welcoming superfan Anthony Fauci to kickstart their opening game. The Washington Nationals are thrilled to announce that the Nat superfan, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, has accepted our invitation to throw out the ceremonial first pitch on opening day. Thursday, July 23rd, the announcement said Dr. Fauci has been a true champion for our country during COVID-19's pandemic and throughout the distinct, or his distinguished career, so it is only fitting that we honor him as we kick off the 2020 season and defend our World Series championship title. As the Daily Wire reported last week, Fauci's opening pitch comes within a week of the magazine InStyle, featuring the good doctor on the cover as if he were auditioning for The Sexiest Man Alive. In a lengthy interview with the magazine, Fauci described his relationship with President uh, Donald Trump as complicated. And that, of course, is the reason that he's on the front of InStyle and he's going and throwing out the first pitch. He's a hero because he stands up to the evil orange man. Look at this. He is such a hero. He thinks that we should be shut down forever and just crash that economy. He doesn't care about money. Dude, seriously. Why Fauci? But we're going to keep going on this one here. 
Speaking one more time from the Hill, Congressional Democrats request FBI briefing on foreign election interference efforts from Maggie Miller. Democratic leaders in the House and Senate on Monday requested a classified counterintelligence briefing from the FBI, citing concerns that members of Congress are being targeted by a concerted foreign interference camp. Oh my fucking God, they're going to do this again. Foreign interference campaign ahead of November elections. They're actually going to do this again. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, and Senate Intelligence Committee Ranking Member Mark Warner sent a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray requesting the all-members briefing take place before the August Congressional recess. We are gravely concerned, in particular, that Congress appears to be a target of concerted foreign interference campaign which seeks to launder and amplify disinformation in order to influence congressional activity, public debate, and the presidential election in November. The Democratic leaders wrote, they are going to do this again. Christopher Wray is going to come out and tell him to get stuffed because he's got every fucking right to do so. And then they're going to scream election interference for the next four years. I am seeing this already. We are going to have to listen to this for eight years straight. Russia, Russia, Russia. Oh, my God. They interfered in the election. Oh, my God. Look at what they did. That is, of course, after they took to the lengthy extent of calling George Orkinson a Russian and anybody who would vote for her a Russian. Oh, my God. They are going to do this again. They're actually going to do it. Gross. You know what? I'm saving that one, too. All right. So anti-Trumpers are going to anti-Trump. From the Daily Wire, anti-Trump Lincoln Project plans to push Biden agenda if he's elected, co-founder says, from Tim Pierce. The Lincoln Project, a political action committee dedicated to taking down President Donald Trump, intends to help push a Democratic agenda should presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden win the election in November. Project's co-founder, John Weaver, confirmed the uh, group's post-election intentions to the Washington Post in an article published on Monday. The group is preparing to vehemently oppose efforts by the GOP senators to obstruct and stymie Biden's agenda. Yeah, they are... They're not Republicans anymore, and most of these people were Republican staffers, which meant they were insane, warmongering assholes that just want to see the world burn. But, yeah... The Lincoln Project. Go look it up one time and read some of their mission statement and look at some of the people that are on it. It's people, and right now they're trying to get accepted by the Democrat establishment again. And it's people that will never be accepted by the Democrat establishment, no matter how hard they try. But they are trying so hard. Please, please accept us back into the beltway. We promise. We'll never look at Trump again. We'll never look at an outsider again. We'll just let the same people be in power for fucking ever. The anti-Trump members of the GOP in the Lincoln Project will likely, they're not in the GOP anymore, will likely play a large role in the budding Biden campaign strategy to win over Republican voters, discouraged or unhappy with the party under Trump. The project is already actively campaigning against Trump and has vowed to try and knock off vulnerable GOP members of the Congress, such as Susan Collins of Maine, who is not a Republican anymore, and Cory Gardner of Colorado. 
Biden's campaign has reportedly reached out to and won over the support of John Kasich, a failed and former uh, GOP presidential candidate who is no longer in the GOP and former governor of Ohio. Kasich is expected to speak at the Democratic National Convention next month on behalf of the former vice president. Dude, these people don't care what it is that they impose on you. There is nobody in the establishment that is fighting for you. The president, the current sitting president, at least fought for you for the majority of his term. Fought for the American people for the majority of his term. But for the rest of these people, it is nothing about maintaining political power. And they're not even trying to hide it anymore. It is just political power and nothing else off of this. And it's disgusting. And I do not agree with our current sitting president, and I don't intend to vote for him next November. But these people who call themselves GOP are going to help usher in this socialist agenda that the advisors sitting behind Biden are going to try and push down the country because Biden can't articulate a true sentence, a full and complete and thoughtful sentence anymore. Kasich was a bottom contender in the 2016 GOP primary, never polling in the top three according to RCP until late in the primary contest when all but three contenders had dropped out of the race. Kasich then hit a high of 22.5% behind Senator Cruz and Trump. I can't even, this is, the Lincoln Project is just disgusting. We'll bring in socialism as long as we put the right people back in power. All right, let's keep going here. Another one here from Breitbart that also came from the Chill Anarchist. Pelosi, whether he knows it yet or not, Trump will be leaving the White House even if he has to be fumigated. Uh, hey, Secret Service, you want to come and look into this? In a Monday appearance on MSNBC's Morning Joe, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi weighed in on the possibility of President Trump refusing to leave the White House if he loses the presumptive 2020 Democratic presidential nominee to force uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. Morning, host, uh, Morning Joe co-host Mika Brzezinski asked Pelosi about Trump's interview with the Fox News' Chris Wallace and said the president did not say one way or the other if he would leave. According to Pelosi, Trump is leaving the White House, whether he knows it yet or not, and even if he has to be fumigated. The fact is, whether he knows it or not, he will be leaving, Pelosi told Brzezinski. Just because he might not want to move out of the White House doesn't mean we won't have an inauguration ceremony to, an, uh, to inauguration a duly elected president of the United States. And you know, I'm second in line to the presidency. Just last week I had my regular continuation of government briefing. This might interest you because I say to them, this is never going to happen. God willing, it never will, but there's a process. It has nothing to do with a certain occupant of the White House, doesn't feel like moving, and has to be fumigated out of there because the president is, or presidency is the presidency. I don't even know what to say to any of this. You're coming out of a party that never wanted to leave the White House. I mean, who's to say that... Barack wouldn't have been some sort of top advisor in the White House under a Hillary presidency because I'm pretty positive he would have been. So, uh, and I don't even know because, hell, by January we might not even have all the ballots counted because of all the mail and stuff. 
we might not know come inauguration day who the president is supposed to be. There's just so much going on with this. All right, now I got a couple more here to talk about, and then we'll do Twitter trending. From TMZ News, Kanye West, Kim tried to involuntarily commit me. Kanye West has turned on his own family in the midst of what we told is a major bipolar episode targeting Kris Jenner, comparing his life to the movie Get Out, and accusing Kim Kardashian of trying to commit him to the mental hospital. In a series of tweets Monday night, Kanye revealed his wife's plan to get him help, just 24 hours after a bizarre and at times incoherent campaign rally in South Carolina. Kanye said Kim was trying to fly to Wyoming with a doctor to lock me up like in the movie Get Out because I cried about saving my daughter's life yesterday. West also took aim at his mother-in-law, Kris Jenner, and shared a text he sent Kris that urged her to call and stop ignoring him. He then mentioned some of Kim's career choices implying Kris was behind them and saying Kim would never do that to her own daughter. He tweeted, I put my life on God or on my God, that North's mom would never photograph her doing Playboy, and that's on God, I'm on the ranch, come and get me. Shia LaBeouf was also brought into Monday's rant. Kanye accused him of being a no-show to the first YZY Gap photo shoot. He also dragged Anna Wintour into the mix, accusing her of taking down, or talking down, rather, on his Gap collab, to call him, uh, only to call him later, kissing my ass. Wow. Must be getting over the hour mark, because I'm starting to lose my ability to read. It also appears Kanye has some serious beef with his family living in L.A. and not Wyoming full-time, saying, I love my wife. My family must live next to me. It's not up to E! or NBC anymore. TMZ broke the story. Members of Kanye's family in close circle were left extremely concerned and upset after Sunday's rally in South Carolina. West talked about guns, politics, and at one point was brought to tears sharing a story that revealed he talked to Kim about getting an abortion when she was pregnant with North. So, yeah, definitely some rocky stuff over in the uh, Kanye world, but it's Kanye. It's going to be rocky. I really want to see him run in 2024. I know that he really can't run in 2020. He dropped out already, but I want to see what he does and what it does to the polls. I really want to see what happens with Kanye West. I actually think that he wouldn't be a bad president. All right, from... CNN, Gap shares fall after Kanye West threatens to walk away from the Yeezy deal. From Jordan Volinsky. Kanye West's threat to walk away from his fashion company's fledgling partnership with Gap has sent shares sharply lower. Gap stock fell nearly 6% Monday following West's comments he made at a public event Sunday. Videos taken at the event show the rapper criticizing Gap and Adidas, another apparel company with his Yeezy brand partnered with. West noted he was not on either company's board. That has to change today or I walk away, he said. Adidas declined to comment and Gap didn't immediately respond to CNN Business request for comment. Gap, which has been struggling lately, announced a 10-year partnership with Yeezy last month for a new line of clothes that are modern, elevated basics for men, women, and kids at accessible price points due out next year. It's unclear whether he's even allowed to walk away from the deal. So... He's out there, he's making waves, and he is trying to shape the economy at some point as much as he can with his private citizen status. Dude, this guy is a nut, but 
I don't, like I said, I don't think he would be the worst president in the world if he was elected president. And I think he could do it. I really think he could pull it off. I know literally nothing about his music. Literally nothing about his music. But he appears to be a savvy guy and knows what's going on. All right, I got one more here and then we'll do uh, Twitter trending. Rhode Island girl, 14, charged with murder and death of a contractor from Frank Miles. A 14-year-old girl has been charged with murder in the deadly shooting of a contractor in Rhode Island, investigators said. The teen, whose name was not made public because of her age, is scheduled to be arraigned in family court, police told the Providence Journal. Jorge Gonzalez Colon was shot multiple times on July 1st outside of Providence home he was working on in the uh, city's Silver Lake neighborhood. He was taken to a Rhode Island hospital where he was pronounced dead. Police say they did not think he was the intended target. Major David Lafferton said the girl played an integral part in the homicide. Felix Hernandez Rosado was also charged with murder and conspiracy in the killing. He appeared in court Friday and was being held without bail. His attorney called it a complicated case and added, There's no relationship between my uh, client and the victim. Hernando Rosado was thought to be with the missing 14-year-old girl, and police couldn't reveal if the missing girl was the same girl of the same age charged in the Gonzalez Colon murder. We had spoke to some family members and friends of the victim who described him as a hard-working, very good person, said Captain Timothy O'Hara earlier this month about Gonzalez Colon. We can't understand why something like this would happen to him. The death marked the city's fourth homicide of 2020. And yeah, for a really small state and a small city in a small state, because Providence is not a big city. Well, I mean, Wisconsin standards, it's a big city, but for New England standards, it's actually a pretty small city. And it's just interesting to see. There, there are a lot of moving parts to this. I saw this on Fox News, and I just I had to look into it and see what was going on with it. And there's a lot we don't know about it. I do want to follow up on this after the show and figure out a little bit more of what uh, we're seeing out of this and what it could mean going forward. But, I mean, yeah, this was uh, this was a complicated thing. It looks like there's a missing child involved in it. It looks like there's uh, some other things involved with this as well. Maybe some sort of abuse going on, but I, I don't even know. But that's going to be it for news today. Let's see what's happening over on in the world of trending. An interesting tweet to come up to as well, something I just replied to as uh, as we were talking. Or not as we were talking, but right before I went on air. But we are going to go and see what is happening in trending. Oh, Natalie Portman is trending. That can't be good. Alright, so into trending. Once again, we will skip all the Tuesday Vibe, Tuesday Thought stuff because it's usually worthless, pointless stuff. And let's see, Robin Williams is trending today. Let's see what's happening there. Hashtag Robin Williams. The world misses this man. Such a shock six years later. So today was the anniversary of Robin Williams' uh, suicide. And heart goes out to the family once again because he was a legend. He really was. I don't know if he would like what he saw from Will Smith's uh, interpretation of the genie, but we don't know. Oh, there we go. Uh, Tucker is trending. This woman here claiming Tucker Carlson sexually harassed. So yes, Tucker Carlson is getting sexual harassment suits because they have to get him off the air. 
And Tucker Carlson is going to be integral to the president's re-election if he does get re-elected. He absolutely is. And they're trying goddamn hard to get him off the air because they can't have him be there. Here, Bradley Scott says, Tucker Carlson is a target because he tells the truth about the left and they have to destroy the truth at any cost. It's really that simple. Yeah, I can see that. All right, number three that isn't a Tuesday thing, Michael Bennett. Oops, I don't want the article. Go away. Let's see what's happening there. Looks like Michael Bennett is retiring from the NFL, and he thinks that the NFL is starting to wake up. Former Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champion Moses Bread, Michael Bennett, retires a unique career and position who always did it his way whether you liked it or not. So, Bennett is out. He's a good Patriot, too. He played, uh, I think, a few teams all across the league. I'm not completely positive what Michael Bennett's career looked like, but I think, yeah, it looks like he's been in the Eagles. He's been in the Seahawks. He's been in the Patriots. So he's been across the league. So I don't really care about football that much anymore, so I don't really care about his career at this point. But, I mean, he was a good guy. Number four, National Anthem. I will never be okay with the new U.S. flag or National Anthem who's with me. Members of the San Francisco Giants kneel during the National Anthem. No, you're going to fuck baseball too. Stop doing that. Stop doing this kind of thing. People. First MLB player to kneel during the National Anthem applauds Giants Gabe Napler for shining light. So yes, it looks like we had a kneeling protest over in uh, over in baseball. All right, and the last one we will read for today is Ernest Hemingway is the uh, the most painful thing is losing yourself in the process of loving someone too much and forgetting who uh, that you're special too. Ernest Hemingway, eighteen ninety nine to 1961. So it appears that we have some quotes from Hemingway is what's trending off of this. I don't know if he got into the news, if uh, somebody in his family did something, or it's an anniversary of something for him, but... Oh! Is it born this day? Let's go back up and look at the uh, first one here that we had on trending. Oh yeah, July 21st. So yes, today's Ernest Hemingway's birthday. Happy birthday, Ernest Hemingway. Wherever you are, wherever you wound up, Thank you for all of the literature you gave to the world. And that is going to be it. So, we will be back here later on tonight. Come and join me as we uh, go through the Mojave a little bit more and do a few more side quests, I think, is what we're going to do. So, come on over and hang out. And I think we're going to do a searchlight. Yeah, that's what we're going to do the searchlight quest tonight. So, come on over. We'll go find Searchlight Nevada and hang out in that area, see what they've got going on there. So it'll be a good time. It'll be some good unwind time for us as well. Otherwise, if you're not into video games that much or you don't want to hang out up until the wee hours of the morning, join us back again tomorrow. We will be back here tomorrow morning at the same time with more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. <laughs>